and welcome to Food Network Obsessed. This is the podcast where we dish on all things Food Network with your favorite Food Network stars. I'm your host, Jamie Sire, and today we have a multi-talented chef with three degrees on the podcast to talk about his experience as a first-generation Ghanaian-American and bringing West African food to the forefront of the culinary conversation. He's a chef. You've seen him as a judge on Chopped. He's the host of Alex vs. America, and he's competing on the new season of Tournament of Champions. It's Eric Adjapong. Welcome to the podcast. Kind of funny coincidence. I had some photo memories pop up on my phone from two (laughs) years ago this week. Uh, That's when we met. We were doing cooking demos in Vancouver, Washington. Yeah, the LA Day Resort. Exactly. Yeah. Jamie, what's going on? How are you? I'm great. It's so great to talk to you because it's been so amazing just kind of watching your television career really explode over the last years. I mean, it was already well on its way when when I met you, but I'm excited to dive in on all things um, Eric. But before we get to that, we need to address something else that's in your Instagram bio. Uh, long-suffering New York Knicks fan. Uh, do, do we need to start there? Yeah, <laughs> let, let's unpack that. Let's let's get it out. Oh, my goodness. All right, cool. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been passed down. It's my father who's been just a huge Knicks fan since, like, Spreewell days and Houston days and, and and even before, like, Mason. And it was just his love for, for watching basketball and, and specifically the Knicks. When he came to America for the first time, he just kind of fell in love and with the team. And, and that's passed down to me. So long suffering is like truly, truly long suffering because I, I feel my father's pain as well. <laughs> through the years. It's crazy. We wish you and the rest of the, the <laughs> fans the best of luck on that. But you mentioned it. Uh, you were born and raised in New York City as a first generation Ghanaian American. How can you kind of describe the duality of being a New York City raised kid? but in a West African home. My folks came here uh, to the States, at least in the uh, uh, late 80s, and they had me pretty much uh, soon after. And like, I grew up in a very traditional West African home. So uh, for, for you know, the majority of my adolescent life, childhood, and, and, and you know, when I was a little bit older, even my teenage years, it was just very like the cultural traditions. It was the, the outdoorings. It was the, the parties with Daddy Lumba in the background. Like it's, it's real like, uh, great times that I remember. But then also on the flip side, as you mentioned, you know, I was eating bacon, egg and cheese sandwiches, uh, on my way to <laughs> high school and, you know, hanging out with uh, such an eclectic group of friends, uh, from Irish people to Spanish people to, uh, Hispanic people to, you know, every, everywhere in between. And then specifically the fact that I fell into, you know, falling in love with food in this industry. Uh, I, I think that was kind of like the, the making for some really cool, like creative stuff now in present time. I mean, what do you remember most about those formative experiences with food, both in and out of your home? You mentioned the, you know, the bacon, egg and cheese from the, from the bodega. <laughs> what, what else do you remember? There wasn't a good time and food wasn't involved. That's, that's my, my number one memory is just like, it's so communal to, to us and my family. And I mean, to everyone, honestly, on this world and in this planet, like the, the best moments when I think about eating are when people are around and we're having a good time or we're, we're sharing a moment, you know, good, bad or indifferent. And those are the things that I remember the most. And those are the things I cherish the most. And I also try to give to my, you know, diners and my, my guests and patrons that kind of like family, homely, everyone's welcome and truly like uh, kick your feet off, but like expect some really great service and great food. Uh, is something that is uh, I love to receive and I love to give as well. 
Did you always feel so connected to and, and maybe curious about your African roots or was this something that kind of evolved as you got older? I knew immediately that, you know, I, I was uh, different, but then also in a different way, because I also knew some other like first generation friends. You know, I had a, a next door neighbor who was Albanian and his folks just came into to the States uh, right around the time my, my family did as well. So we have very like similar experiences and just having the understanding of where my parents come from and where the culture is so thick and, and so heavy and so rich uh, in my household was something that you can't necessarily get away from, you know, and I always kind of mentioned like whether it be food or whether I fell into like being a fashion designer or a musician, I, I think that culture and, and that love for, you know, being from West Africa would have kind of evolved to come out into that whatever kind of creative space uh, I would have fell into. And now as an adult, a parent, how are you fostering a deeper connection with that heritage? It's my first time at it, you know, so I'm learning on the fly and I'm doing my best to uh, speak the language, even though I am still learning the language as well and, and, and getting, you know, adapted and, you know, trying, you know, new foods with her and uh, my grandmother, excuse me, her grandmother, my mom comes over uh, and we spend family time as well. And she's teaching her stories and she remembers from back home and, and, and things that she kind of like, I remember like those, you know, fairy tales that she would tell me those moments that I, I totally cherished when I was younger. I, I see that kind of replicating uh, for my daughter. And and I think that's awesome. So it's kind of like a symbiotic moment. And I, and I love it because it's it reminds me of myself, uh, mm -hmm. but then also reminds me of what I, I really kind of want to cherish and, and give to my daughter as she grows up. Uh, you mentioned that, you know, food has always, you know, been around, been a part of, of your family, your life. But how clear was that that path to culinary as you were growing up? Did you know that that's what you wanted to do or or did that take a little bit? Once I realized that I wasn't going to make the Super Bowl or excuse me, make the uh, the NFL um, <laughs> and, and make it to the Super Bowl, I, I realized that, you know, food was something that I always kind of fell to. I, I loved I loved cooking shows. I, that was like my first passion jam. It was crazy when I was younger you know, five, six, seven, I would be watching like uh, Yang Can't Cook and, and Julia Childs and, and, you know, all of the above around those you know, <laughs> PBS moments in, in those days. It was like things that was just kind of imprinted in me. And, you know, I was always in the kitchen watching my parents, watching my aunts and my uncles. And and, and I was just kind of fortunate to be surrounded by a lot of great cooks uh, and the family. And I kind of tried my hand at, you know, first baking because no one really did that. Um, and I was just kind of the one who started making the cakes and, uh, <laughs> and you know, everything in between. Um, and then I kind of started doing the savory stuff and really fell in love with it. So I knew at a really young age, I had a bug for just kind of culinary arts. And as most kids do at high school, they have that moment where they're, you know, at that guidance counselor and, and they're sitting in front of them right uh, before they graduate. And they're asking themselves, like, what is it that you want to do? Like, where, where, are you, where are you going? And culinary arts was something that I really uh, fell in love with. So I, I hopped into a vocational school and, and that's kind of where the I got big by the bug. And I, I kind of love the uh, the atmosphere. I love the the brigade system. I love the structure. Um, and, and I love like the the common, it was almost like an orchestra. I, I love that common goal to, to, to really achieve. Again, being a, a big competitor and a sports fan, that whole kind of camaraderie and, and really all for one and one for all kind of feel was cool. I was surrounded by food and, and making good food. That was like mind blowing to me. And that's that's why I fell in love. I mean, and you went all in. You have three degrees, one in culinary arts, one in nutrition and a master of public health and international public health nutrition. So how has that focus and expertise in nutrition and health really shaped your perspective as a chef? You know, funny enough, it was kind of around that same conversation with my guidance counselor talking about things that would possibly set me apart. 
and I'm dating myself, but like 10, 15 years ago, I wasn't necessarily thinking about nutrition being such a huge part of the industry and, and being a huge part of, you know, the common kind of social psyche. We're all kind of, you know, aware of what we're putting in our bodies and we're all kind of reading the back of the labels and things like that. So I'm so glad that I took that advice. And then also, uh, I wanted to make my parents happy as well because everyone in my family, uh, <laughs> is like, uh, either a doctor or a nurse. And I kind of wanted to kind of just reinforce that, that degree that I had. And when you know better, you do better. And, uh, and that's kind of a, a motto that I stick to. And it was kind of like you mentioned, a rabbit hole, because I, I started with culinary arts and I'm like, all right, what is this food actually? I love, you know, composing a dish. I love the acidic flavors. I love the fatty flavors. I love the salts. I love, you know, the heat. But what is it actually doing to our bodies? And, and on a greater scale, what is it doing to us as a society, um, a community, a, a state, a region, a country? So it, it kind of really adapts into so many different ways. And um, right around the time that I kind of fell in love with it, you know, it was chefs like uh, Jose Andres who was starting uh, World Central Kitchen and, and really making a push for chefs to, to make a big stand and uh, be more prominent um, in the public health uh, arena. So it was kind of a, a symbiotic thing that that all works together. And uh, I'm really happy that I have that background and understanding because it's it's so pivotal. It's so important to, to kind of speak to that intelligently now as a chef, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned, you know, you have a lot of doctors, nurses in the family. So, you know, your website has this quote that makes uh, even more sense now, let food be thy medicine. What does that mean to you? And how do you practice that philosophy on a daily basis? It's it's one that I heard uh, in, in, in school. And the other kind of uh, association that I have with that is you, you pay the farmer now or you pay the hospital later. So you do your best to uh, really just put the best that you can in your body, you know, um, the freshest that you can, the, the most local and the most sustainable uh, things that you can do to really eat. Um, not only you sustaining yourself and your household, but you're also helping the world in your way as well. Uh, so it's a it's a kind of philosophy that I fell in love with um, right around the same time that the nutrition and the public health bug, I guess I could say, um, got me. And I really stick to it. And it's one that I try to uh, teach my family now and I really kind of subscribe to. So, I mean, indulgence is always uh, top notch, right? Like I always <laughs> I, I could pick out and uh, and do some really crazy things on a Saturday with some pizza and, and some like, ice cream <laughs> or whatever. Uh, but honestly, it's, it's good to, to kind of have that balance and, and understand your body, number one. And, and understand, you know, what, what food is doing for you. So do you believe that elevated cuisine, indulgence, and then also proper health and nutrition can all coexist? Yeah, I mean, for sure. We're, it's not, we eat on a spectrum. We're all, we have emotions uh, and food is such a huge part of, of that as well. So, you know, it, when you're in a conscious mind of, hey, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm working out. I want to be more diligent with my my diet. I want to be more active, whatever the case is, then you're doing all that you can to eat clean. But if you are, let's say, on your 30th birthday and, you know, you're out on vacation and you you, you want to have some champagne and, a, uh, you know, some foie gras, whatever the case is, and uh, something really fatty in, as dessert or uh, really an indulgence for dessert, um, you're, you're totally justified to do that as well. So, um, like, live and, and understand the balance between everything. Think about what's best for you, what's what's uh, health wise and just think about it in a holistic way. I think that's probably my approach and my suggestion for everybody. I think that's good advice for sure. By the way, you were a top three finalist on Top Chef, which catapulted you further into the culinary spotlight. It was a risk, I think, you know, to focus on and present West African food and ingredients on the show, primarily because the judges had very limited context or, or benchmarks for those flavors and those dishes. How did you handle the pressure of having to break that glass ceiling? 
It was pretty intimidating within myself, but I think ultimately I decided on doing it. And, you know, if I had the opportunity uh, to be on a show um, uh, like Top Chef, one that I've watched since I was, oh my gosh, uh, a kid again, since like season four or five that I can remember. Um, and I, I, I'd never seen though, I never seen West African food or African food period represented. And I always mention like being the second biggest continent in Africa is, uh, it's so crazy that the food is just so misrepresented or not represented as, as well as it should be and had definitely deserves that seat at the table. So sourcing, I guess you could say from my background and uh, the things that I grew up knowing and, um, and, and you know, remember eating and, and still eat and love to this day. I did my best to present that food in, in really unique ways and um, try to loop it into the challenges as strategic as possible. Um, it worked out. It was really cool. I mean, Padma mentioned um, I'm also teaching and I kind of think about that, you know, a few years back. And I, I kind of see it that way as well. Like, uh, you know, as you mentioned, they weren't as um, abreast to a lot of the food or the cuisine, those flavors, but they kept eating and they kept going at it. And they were just <laughs> it's like, always a good sign. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. Right. And I'm like waiting to see, you know, if they, they really like it. And they did um, nine times out of 10. And it was just, uh, you know, so nuts. I remember having a dream and this is a very, very true story. I remember having a dream uh, maybe like four or five years ago about serving fufu to Tom Colicchio on a Top Chef. The dream was so vivid, like he was actually in there with his hands and grabbing it with the soup and it was all over his <laughs> hands and it was like down and dirty. But the fact that I actually did that and, you know, it was a more formal atmosphere, of course, so he wasn't going as crazy as I thought he would, but or I dreamed he would. Um, he, he did it and it was kind of like a dream that was realized and it was like a crazy moment. So, um, you know, there was a lot of like, I feel um, some divine kind of intervention with that and just right moment, right time. And I'm just kind of happy that I was uh, there to do it. What does it mean to you that you were able to bring a spotlight to, to that cuisine? Like you said, you hadn't seen that represented on screen prior to that format. What did that mean to you? I think about it as just being another kind of stepping stone or pillar to the the whole kind of um, dialogue and, and the, the conversation, the lexicon of what West African food is. Um, I, I thought it'd be really cool to do that. I, I could have came in doing, you know, modern American or modern French or Italian and, and a lot of stuff that I grew up learning and working in in restaurants. I wanted to cook West African food uh, because I feel like and I know that it has uh, and it deserves a seat at the table. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it hasn't been, you know, other chefs as well that have done their part, uh, whether uh, through books, you have Jessica B. Harris, you have uh, Pierre Tom, you have Chef Kwame uh, Amwache, you have um, so many other chefs, um, you know, Alexander Smalls that have been mm-hmm. uh, cooking and and and, and speaking and, um, um, and celebrating this food. Um, and there's so many chefs that I'm, um, you know, forgetting right now, but it's it's one of those things where I'm happy to, to be a part of that conversation. I'm happy to uh, have put my kind of spin and, and my my uh, appreciation and uh, I guess my creativity towards the food that I love um, and grew up eating and, and doing that on a national level and in front of these amazing chefs. Before the show, you had already garnered great professional success. You'd worked in Michelin star restaurants. You and your wife and business partner created Pinch and Plate, where together you guys produce intimate, memorable dinner parties. First of all, how did you and Janelle meet? Oh my goodness. That's another podcast. Um, so, <laughs> uh, a, you know, it's so crazy because it's a, do, it's a, it's a, he say, she say story. Um, but all in all, um, all? <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. Uh, but we, it was at a party in, in Newark, New Jersey, and me and my best friends were throwing it for another buddy of ours. She came to the party, just moving to uh, New York city. 
We met at the party, but I don't remember meeting her. That's the crazy thing. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. There's the, here's, here's where her story gets a little bit better than mine. You know, we end up uh, connecting a, a few weeks later and really the rest was history. So uh, unbeknownst to me, I had no idea about her decorating skills. And she had a, a home that she built or excuse me, that she bought uh, in, in D.C. when she was really young and she didn't have that much money to kind of furnish it. So she just got super creative. And when she was done with it, it was just like completely like you you would think you're walking into like MTV Crips. Um, so <laughs> it was it was really cool to uh, for her to kind of see that. And she has that in her blood. Her father's a carpenter. Her dad is a contract. Uh, her grandfather is a, a contractor. Um, so she wanted to do a dinner party for her girlfriends, her boyfriend being the chef. She asked me to do it. And, you know, I turned the corner after finished prepping in the kitchen and I see this table that's completely decked out. I mean, like the candelabras, the flowers, the, the, it was just like, I, I've never seen anything like that, especially in a, like, you know, an apartment. So I was like, whoa, like we both had this like Eureka idea and that we can probably take the show on the road. And we did. And it was really fun. I mean, we uh, we started in New York and um, when we moved to the DMV, D.C. area, um, kind of picked up clients and, and, and continue to do it over here. And it's been a blast. You know, COVID and, and, you know, things like that kind of slowed everything down. And beforehand, you know, we just had our daughter Lennox as well. So we were kind of like slowing down and, and kind of thinking about 2.0 versions of things. It, it was just a blast to, to do it. And we, it, it was great to do it with her as well. What do you think is the most important element to a successful dinner party? Ambiance and the memories and, and really being comfortable. Um, and I think that's why we were so successful. We took like the franticness away from the host, right? You're thinking about uh, the drinks. You're thinking about the cocktails that you want to serve when everyone's walking in. You're thinking about the food. Uh, if you're doing chorus, oh my gosh, how many plates do I need? Um, so there's so many things like that can really like freak you out. And then you're dressed, like you got to get ready. You got to you gotta take a shower. You got to look good, smell good, all that stuff. And then you got to welcome people and look like it was like nothing that, you know, ever happened. And that's tough. Um, and we totally understand that. So especially when you're trying to entertain a, a, a lot of people at once. And, you know, at the times when we were gathering together um, more than six people and, and separated six feet apart, you know, we can bring a bunch of people in and really have intimate moments. And we noticed that that was a trend that was really like selling and excelling um, um, at the moment that we were doing it. And it was a blast. Like it was it was really cool. So I say, you know, just being cool, planning ahead, you know, um, if you do, if you are you know, cooking or doing a dinner party for yourself or by yourself, plan ahead as best as you can. And then also remember that things are going to happen that are out of your control and you have to be okay with that. Um, and I think when you can kind of surrender to that thought, the rest of the evening is is really a breeze. That's good advice for sure. I, I find myself just, you know, staying in the kitchen the whole time, but I, I, I like that. I want to make sure everybody's fed and, and no one's hungry and everybody has a drink. Um, of course. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a beautiful part about being in the hospitality industry. Like you just want to like just you're so uh, involved in everyone's kind of happiness, but it's OK. Like it's OK to compliment to the chef. It's OK to, to walk out there and, and, and see everybody. Absolutely. Uh, well, you have so many upcoming projects. Uh, I want to talk about your cookbook, which will be titled Sankofa. Um, can you share with us what that means, both in translation and to you personally? Yeah. Um, so Sankofa is a, an Adinkra sibyl, a, a traditional sibyl in the uh, Akan uh, Ashanti region of Africa and Ghana. Essentially, what it means is it's not too taboo to go back and fetch uh, for what you may have forgotten or you may have, you know, if you f you know fall into a fight or a misinterpretation um, or a beef or a scuffle with someone, it's not it's not too taboo to go back and, and kind of, you know, mend that and and go back to, to your roots. And I, I take so much meaning in that personally, because growing up in the household, I, I think about those memories when I think about this book. 
um, and my travels as well. And, you know, it's been the experiences that I've had not only in school, but then also in the you know restaurants and that I've worked in on the line and, you know, in the managerial roles and executive roles that like I want to kind of pull all that into. So it's really pulling from the jollof rice and the fufu and the, the kenke that I grew up eating. Um, and it's a really traditional West African meals and trying to take those flavor profiles and those memories and, and trying to invoke them into um, a lot of the newer stuff that I like to do um, uh, right now and still paying homage to um, those traditional dishes as well. So it's kind of like a, uh, a, a tip of the cap to those dishes that I grew up eating and, you know, I'm trying to put those traditional Additional dishes out and in those recipes out as best as I can. And then also um, having fun and, and kind of getting like uh, my Jackson Pollard on and, 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 and <laughs> kind of showing the world what, you know, um, I love to do about and, and love about food right now on a global kind of scale as well. So it's it's kind of all of that. And that's my, you know, my interpretation of the uh, for this book. And there's also a children's book uh, that's that's going on as well. Um, that's 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 being written. And um, I'm having a blast doing both. So it's a lot of hard work, though. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It's, it's, I mean, what has what that process yeah. been like for creating the cookbook and and the children's book as well? See, if it's not like me in the kitchen, I have two left feet. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning on the fly for a lot of this and, you know, uh, attaching author to, to my name now is, is pretty cool, but I'm also kind of learning about what it is to be an author. And it's like pulling those memories and talking to my mom and my dad and my sister and my brother about, you know, things that I probably don't have that clear memory, but it was super important in, in my life at the moment and um, that I want to, you know, put into the book. So it's, it's been therapeutic. It's been really telling. It's been invoking so many memories and, and emotions as well. And, and a lot of laughter. Uh, I remember having a conversation with my mom uh, about this one story with uh, me living in Ghana when I was three years old. And it's crazy because it's my favorite thing to eat right now. It's called Puff Puff Bofrot, um, but it's just a pretty much like a, a donut, a West African kind of beignet, so to speak. When I was younger, she would say I'd always go out to the street vendors like super early in the morning before they even set up. And I'd be like, Bofrot, Bofrot, let me get some Bofrot. And like, <laughs> they just, they knew I was that kid. They knew that I was that kid that wanted like the first kind of like, you know, donut that was just fresh out the, uh, the, the oil bath or whatever. So yeah. it's, it's so crazy. That's like my favorite thing to eat now, but you know, she, she laughs about it because she's like, it's, that's why it's your favorite thing. And it's those memories that, you know, she probably forgot about and, you know, remembered that uh, are, are really, really cool about this book. Yeah. I'm sure it's kind of fun to, for both of you to, to relive all of those memories and those moments and, and be <laughs> able to share it with everybody else. Is the children's book a cookbook as well, or is it more of just like a typical children's book? So we're going to be highlighting two recipes from the actual, um, uh, it's funny. I call them the adult book and the children's book, but it's, <laughs> it's, uh, but it's, it's highlighting two recipes uh, from the adult book, but really it's just a fictional tale, very kind of can to mind growing up and that duality that you spoke of earlier and going to school as a New York kid and New York City kid and having so many different friends and different experiences um, and just all in a very confined neighborhood in, in New York City. So uh, I'm really excited to, to tell those stories and, and tell that story specifically. Um, and it kind of gets into uh, food and, and family and um, and culture and all the things that really kind of shape my life. So I'm really excited about it. But at the end, uh, two of those two of those recipes that are highlighted are going to be uh, at the end of the book. Uh, so you can kids and their family, uh, their parents, their guardian, whomever uh, can go ahead and cook those recipes uh, together. That's really cool. What are the defining characteristics of the recipes in in the adult book? Um, and, <laughs> and just, I guess, West African cuisine in general stews, it's curries, it's soups. 
Uh, but flavor wise, it's like those warm spices. It's the nutmegs, the cloves, the cinnamon, calabash uh, that we that we use uh, like like ninjas. It's just like the delicate hand and uh, the mixture of spices and and everything that's so pretty much indigenous to to the land. So I love the the technique. You know, we talk about mother sauces around the world. That tomato sauce that is kind of like the mother sauce of West Africa, and it blooms to so many different recipes and it stretches to so many different countries. It's one of those things that I, I love to. to research and um, there's just so many great flavors and, and you know how that flavor and those flavors specifically have traveled throughout the diaspora and and to the American South and to the Caribbean. It's a really cool story uh, and one that I love to tell. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Jessica B. Harris earlier and, you know, just reading about, like you said, like how some of these ingredients, flavors, influences have made their way over here to the United States. What What other influences would we maybe recognize if you think about just like the the travel and the i guess the migration uh between west africa and to the american south and you know south carolina and and, and places like louisiana you talk about gumbo gumbo in in sierra leone means okra um, and it's an okra mm-hmm. stew it's an okra based stew that's like a traditional staple when i think about american food that's like on the top five list right or mount rushmore or whatever uh shrimp and grits <laughs> <laughs> shrimp and grits is another one with um strong ties to west africa the carolina rice is one that you know was brought over to, to the new world so there's so many ties from the south and um the the use and the techniques as well preservation um, I think about salting and pork and think about curing and, and, and all the things that, you know, slaves and ancestors and the, the folks that came after them, uh, they preserved. Uh, and they've done this all orally, which is pretty crazy. Like they weren't you know, able to read or write or, or pass that information down in that, in that way. So to keep that rich, you know, beautiful history of food, pass it down through lineage. It's, it's pretty crazy to think, but it's also delicious. And, you know, it's a great way to, uh, to tell that story. Yeah, it'd be, be fun to, to cook your way through the book. What pantry staples would you need in order to do that? Salt, number one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good about it. Yeah, yeah, you got to have salt. Um, but cardamom, uh, coriander, clove, nutmeg. You know, we talked about uh, cinnamon as well. Uh, there's so many things like peri-peri um, peppers and ginger and, and, and onions, you know, shallots, garlic, all the different alliums. Like, there's so many things that we blend and we combined and, you know, we in different ratios and different combinations that it's just really create so many different flavors and amazing flavors. You know, if you want funky, you can add some dry shrimp or some powdered uh, herring or some, you know, fish sauce. Um, then if you want some sweet, you know, there's some palm sugar, palm wine, there's coconut sap. There's, there's just so many different things that I love to cook and that's so tropical and so indigenous and just really scream and are really unique to, to the area of, of West Africa. Eric's been busy filming a couple of exciting projects for Food Network, and we're going to talk all about them when we come back. But let's dive into all things Food Network now. You have been a busy guy. I feel like you're all over the network right now uh, filming a, a, a number of projects. But let's start with uh, congratulations on being a part of Food Network's very first hot list for Thank 2022. You. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not aware, this is a list of food stars that Food Network thinks everyone needs to know about. Uh, mm-hmm. And you were on that list. So what was your reaction when you found out you made the list? Well, to make a list on anything Food Network is like, whoa. So when they told us that, or they told me specifically that I was on this uh, inaugural list, it, it, it was just an honor, uh, number one. Um, and it's cool to get like all, to feel the traction for all the hard work that's been going on in my life recently. So I'm really appreciative 
perspective of them kind of just recognizing all of that and and, and wanting to kind of elevate this platform that I'm on as well. So I'm so honored um, to be a part of the, the, the Food Network family. Um, it's been a complete blast uh, meeting all, all the people in, in front of the camera, behind the camera, and everyone in between. It's been an honor and it's been a lot of fun. Well, it's well-deserved. Um, like I said, you've been all over the place and you are <laughs> the host of the new competition special, Alex versus America, where Alex Gornishelli goes head to head with three chefs from across the country that are masters of the ingredients for that particular episode. They have a survival round and then the winner of that round chooses the elements uh, for the final competition. What were your expectations going into hosting a show like this? I don't know what I don't know. So I'm going back to my two. <laughs> <It's always laughs> good, right? Uh, yeah, right. So, you know what? In, in some ways, I, you know, having conversations with the producers and directors before we even, even started, you know, we're doing everything via Zoom right now, but it would have been just like, a, you know, a dinner or something like that. But they they wanted that, you know, they wanted that kind of like, hey, talk to the camera, just speak to who you would, um, you know, if there's an, a chef table or someone that's kind of really curious about food at the uh, at the supermarket and they're asking you about something and kind of speak to that. And for whatever reason, I was like, you know what? I trust you uh, because you want something. <laughs> you want this fresh. You want something new. And you understood that I've never done this before. Uh, but they were like, hey, you're going to be in good hands. And it's crazy, Jamie, because I remember watching uh, the trailer a few months later and I was like, whoa, like completely baffled. Like I look OK. Like I look decent at this. Right? I was like, OK, <laughs> I, I, I wiped the sweat off my forehead. And I'm like, so it's just all credit to the editing team, honestly. But um, it was a, a complete blast. Um, Chef Alex is a pro's pro. She really is. Uh, we kicked it off or we, we first met rather filming Chopped, an episode of Chopped. And like from the jump, as soon as I walked in and we hopped into hair and makeup, cracking jokes. And this is our first time meeting. And it was like we've met, uh, you know, years and years ago. So it was um, a really great time. Uh, during Chop, then, you know, I'm so thankful that experience kind of lingered in her mind because when the show was kind of greenlit for her and she was looking and, you know, the, uh, the, the production team was looking for a host, uh, she she said, Eric, and they reached out to me. I was available and scared. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I was like, you know what? Yeah. Um, and the, the whole time when we were filming, it was just uh, more of exactly what uh, uh, Alex and I were, were kind of kicking off um, when we were filming Chop. So uh, she's just a, a wealth of knowledge, not only about food, but about life, being from New York and and traveling the world and, and and getting to all the successes that she's been and all the failures that she's had and being so transparent about both as well. Um, she's just an earnest and, and honest person that I'm completely blessed to, to know. So to watch her compete, you know, seeing it on TV is one thing and you're impressed, but to watch her compete in person, uh, she's a ninja and, and there's no wasted movements. And she, she's so diligent about like what it is that she wants to do. So when she has her mindset, it's it's go. And it's normally eight times out of 10, nine times out of 10, uh, a delicious like Michelin star plate. Yes. So it's it's crazy. It's, it's, it's insane to watch her cook. She is incredible. Uh, yeah, I, I got to see her in person um, for Iron Chef Showdown. And, and you're right. Ninja is a, a great word to describe what, what she does in the kitchen and in a, specifically in a in a competition setting because she is so laser focused. She's so intimidating and she's just so good. She's so good at what she does. You mentioned, you know, that you guys hit it off right away and you can see that on screen. I think you both have this genuine sense of camaraderie on the show. What, what do you think you have both learned from each other during this experience? Uh, I would say for me, I learned 
the whole nother level to professionalism. This is nothing new to her. It's just the first time that she's had her own show and it's been a long time coming for that. So it's, it's watching her navigate through, you know, the competition, but then also watching her uh, be a mom. Um, at the same time and also watching her, uh, you know, talk and, and make sure that everything behind the scenes is, is, is good. She's always looking for the, you know, looking after the well-being of others as well. Um, so it's just watching her be a pro's pro. Uh, again, as I mentioned earlier, like she she really covers all bases um, and she does it really effortlessly. So I, that's what I learned from her. And hopefully what she learned from me is, um, you know, what I was going to say the sneaker game, but she's already locked the key <laughs> with that, too. Like she was coming through every single day, Jamie, with the freshest kicks. Uh, so I would have said that, but she she got me there as well. So hopefully if she's learned anything about the, uh, for, for me. It's um, really we share the love for family. We share the love for food um, and, and really my approach and my kind of eye behind that. I think she really appreciates that. And um, she really honors that as well. So it's a, uh, it's, it's really love all around. Yeah. What's it like behind the scenes when, when the cameras aren't rolling, you know, in between, you know, setting up shots and, and that kind of thing. Either trying to get like a 10 minute nap or you're online, <laughs> you're, you're trying to check up to catch up on emails um, and, or you're trying to stuff something in your mouth because you're hungry. But um, when you do have like time to pause, um, it's really just catching up, you know, being human, talking about uh, what was on Netflix or what just aired last week and, and really just, uh, and those are really honestly the best parts, Jamie. And it's the, the recording and, and the competition is really, really fun. And it's what we're all there for, but it's the family um, because these guys are, are there with each other hours and hours. And you know, I'm not, you know, I'm preaching to the choir. These, you know, everybody's there hours on end. So really getting to know one another and building that relationships, those relationships have been like the, the best part for me. I mean, the show's format is is really unique as well. You you have, you know, her competition really choosing the variables for the first round. So, you know, it's this balance of trying to help themselves, but also mm-hmm. say on the defensive, but also challenge Alex. What What strategy seems to work? Taking charge, number one. Don't be like pensive. Don't be like timid. Just go for it. Um, when you have the opportunity to like speak your mind, say what you want to say and, and say why it's important. And, you know, all those things really matter in the in the grand scheme of things. You know, when you're picking those different elements to kind of like structure the challenge, uh, you want to be as like prepared and as confident as you can be because you're walking into really the abyss. You don't really know what you're walking into when the close is kind of released. So um, just be be vocal and 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 be confident. I think that right there, as I've seen, you know, no spoiler alerts has been successful for those who actually have gone, you know, uh, who have done decent or have at least won, you know, an episode. If you were competing against Alex, what would your strategy be? Probably turn around and go the other way. <laughs> no, honestly, I would I would love to. That'd be a lot of fun. You know, Jamie, one thing that I've noticed about Chef Alex that I try to even immediately kind of like do in my life now is she studies her opponent so well. Like she knows the her, she knows her personnel. So she knows where you're coming from. She knows, you know, the the restaurants that you you cook at, the pedigree that you have, uh, the flavor profiles and, and you know, that you that you really kind of are accustomed to. And she she tries to outdo you. And the, the fact that she's like so versed, she can she has that luxury. Um, so I would try to mimic that as much as possible. Uh, but then also it's kind of like a, a fool's errand as well. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> so I really, you know, do my best to play my game and and, and kind of stick between the, the time and that we have and, and, and pray to God that the judges like my dish a little bit better than than hers. What is the most impressive dish that you've gotten to witness or taste on the show? Um, she did this layered lasagna um, in a like crock pot, like this little cute little vessel and uh, decadent, cheesy, 
tomatoey, the marinara. Like it was just all of the above, Jamie. One of the best things that I've eaten. And I was like stuffed because we just came off of lunch. So I was like, right, <laughs> you know, I'm just going to try it. But when I did, I was like, you know, I got it. This is this is like it right here. And the fact that she did it like on a whim, it was a Michelin star dish, in my opinion. It was just incredible. And that just speaks to, again, her her expertise for, with everything. And, you know, whether it's like make a, a takeout, you know, late night indulgent kind of uh, dish or make something like an, an afternoon romantic uh, dinner for two dish. Uh, she can cover all those bases. And it's it's really cool to watch her, especially, you know, now uh, up close and personal. It's, it's nuts. Yeah. I mean, as a fellow chef, how often do you kind of find yourself, you know, biting your tongue when you're watching these competitors maybe, you know, go a certain way mm-hmm. in their dish and you're like, ah, oh, they probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> you know, it's 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 one that I know from both sides of the fence because I see it and I'm like, oh, that's a mistake. But then I also know it at being a competitor and 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 one who's done, you know, uh, you know, some some competitions before where you make some like boneheaded decisions and you're just like, oh, why did I just do that? And, you know, you're in your own head. So you can get lost sometimes as you're cooking. And, you know, sometimes that's a good thing, but sometimes it's a, you're missing that the obvious as well. So I, I have so much sympathy, honestly, and I try my best with the spirit of the, the competition and the laws of, you know, everything that we kind of set forth in, uh, for the show to just make people aware, like, hey, don't forget, you still got to incorporate this or you still have to make sure that this is, you know, prevalent in your dish just so that, you know, if they're scrambling uh, to get to the plate or, you know, before the time runs out, they, they have, you know, everything that they need to to, to face Alex pretty much. Uh, the other cool thing about the show is there is a, a rotating panel of judges for each episode that are also, you know, masters of those ingredients that we're seeing in the dishes. Uh, Who are who are some of your favorite faces on the judging panel? It's been a blast having an uh, Antonia Lafazzo there. She was she was a, a great, a great judge. Uh, we had Michael Voltaggio. We, we've had uh, Jet Tila was pretty uh, hilarious as well. Watching him was uh, pretty cool as well, and and, and how he kind of conducts his, his business as a judge and um, as a as a TV personality, and um, just learning from everybody. It was just a, a lot of fun. Um, and for me, it was the the again those moments uh, behind the scenes, the trailer moments. You know, just just talking and uh, sharing stories and. Everyone's really excited about the competition, but you also can't say as much. So that's like another kind of song and dance and that they're just going uh, as everything's happening. But it was a blast uh, just getting to know everybody. And it was really cool to kind of keep those uh, relationships going. Yeah. And the plates are judged with blind taste testing. Do they really not know, you know, which one is Alex's and which ones are the, the competitors? No, one thousand percent. It's um, and that's what I love about the show the the anonymity that's behind. It's kind of just layered. Not only are you competing against the elements and the, those variables, but then also the blind tasting from these judges. Uh, as you mentioned, they're also experts in the, the cuisine or the the topic uh, of the episode. It's so like raw. It's so clear, and they don't know who Alex is at all. You know, you know, some people have guessed and were right, but then also a bunch of judges have guessed and were completely wrong as well. So it's it's cool to kind of see, uh, especially the relationships, you know, some some of these judges, uh, Alex has known for some years and they know her food, they know her style, they've eaten her dishes before. So they kind of get an understanding where, you know, she might be going if this was the kind of rules and parameters as far as the elements that were given to her. And it's hilarious. I wish there was like behind the scenes of those moments, like the yeah. the, the unedited moments between the judges when they're like, OK, I don't want to offend anybody, but is this Alex's? <laughs> like, <laughs> <it's pretty cool. laughs> That's awesome. Another show with a uh, completely blind tasting is Tournament of Champions. And the next season was just announced. 
announced. It premieres on February 27th and you are competing. No spoilers, but uh, give us a little teaser, like what what we can expect to see on this upcoming season. Well, number one, uh, this third season is just bigger, better and, and better. There's 32 chefs competing for this one title. Wow. And the, the the money grab, there's 100K on the line. So all the stakes are there. And that randomizer, um, it's still daunting. It's still scary. <laughs> but it's it was such a blast doing that show. The guy is an incredible host. It's uh, really the challenge of a lifetime. And I was so glad to be a part of it. It's uh, really, 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 really hard. It really is. But it's also really rewarding because when you can uh, kind of figure out a dish on the fly and you can cook it and it's delicious, there's really some cool validation with that. So, so many great chefs. It's funny because we're like, you know, with 32 chefs all competing right here in one area, like how's the food for the rest of America right now? Like hopefully it's kind of like <laughs> keeping, keeping its par, but it was cool that everyone kind of got involved and it's a competition. It really is. We've had quite a few competitors on the pod. I think all of them have said that this is the toughest food competition show that they've ever done. What makes the format so daunting, so challenging. Yeah, bar none, I, I would say uh, as well. It's it's tough. There are things that are in your wheelhouse that you know are paired with things that are outside your wheelhouse. There is um, probably a produce that you've never worked with uh, that might be on the randomizer. There is there's protein that you probably never worked with that might be on the randomizer. There's there's so many different things that can throw you off. There's also the uh, the blind tasting, you know, as well that kind of adds another layer. I always kind of equate it to like playing golf. You know, there's so many other people, 32 or 31 um, in my in my case on the field. Uh, but it's really just you versus you and, and you versus the randomizer. And when you can kind of like not let it beat you or trick you out and you can kind of have a focus immediately on what it is that you want to do, then you you put yourself in the best position. But to do all of that on the fly as the as that time is ticking and and guy is so slick with it when he gets that three, two, one go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so tough. So I, I agree with everyone else. It's it's definitely the, the most difficult uh, competition uh, show out there for sure. The one at least that I've done and, you know, speaking with everybody else uh, that they've done as well. Do you prepare at all for it? Like, do you practice or do you or you just like go in blind and just, you know, see what happens? Yeah, it's it's like an SAT. Like you can. <laughs> right. But like, yeah. what are you really what are you really getting? Like it's I mean, the randomizer is just that, Jamie, like it can throw the craziest combination at you. And, you know, you can be prepared to do one thing or have like a comfortability doing another but, you know, the timing could be completely off and you may not have enough time to do that thought. Um, and then, you know, you're wasting time as you're trying to figure out something else to do or plan B. So it's just all these like different elements um, that just make it the the most difficult thing. Uh, but really, there's not much that you can uh, study for. But, I, you know, you practice, you know, run the line a little bit. You read some cookbooks. Uh, you try to study the, the other chefs, you know, as best as possible. You watch the show. So that that was uh, really cool to try to at least put myself in the mindset of what, OK, you know, if this randomizer threw me something similar, what would I do? Yeah, no, it's it's fun. I, and I think, you know, both of us being sports fans kind of appreciate the the bracket style, you know, yeah. format of it. It just makes it, you know, win or go home. It's very stakes are high for sure. Um, <laughs> We've also seen you grace uh, the set of Chopped as a judge, as you mentioned, uh, your first time meeting Alex there. Uh, what What's at the forefront of your mind when you're tasting and evaluating dishes uh, on that show? 
seasoning uh, and, and technique. That's like the number one thing. The story and the interpretation behind the dish is really what makes a good dish into a great one. But, you know, what's objective is, you know, does it have enough salt? Is it enough acid? Is it cooked to a medium rare? You know, you also, again, being in their shoes, uh, know that this is extremely tough to do in a pressurized situation with cameras in front of you. And there's a timer that's big as your head. What basket ingredient would completely send you home? No questions asked. Durian, probably. That's that's a tough one for me. And I, I had it for the first time when I was in um, Macau. And that was, um, yeah, <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> what, what do you enjoy more, competing, judging or hosting? Now that I've got hosting at least one round under my belt, I want more. I love to compete. I love host. I love judging as well. It's nice to be on the other end of the table, um, you know, and something a lot cooler. You're not sweating. But the hosting <laughs> thing for me, just because I've never done it before, um, judging I've never done before neither, but at least I can speak to, to food mm-hmm. um, like that. But the hosting is another kind of like uh, muscle, so to speak, that you have to pull and, and work on. So I want to continue to do that. And I was nervous as hell um, when I started, but I'm uh, so comfortable. And by the time we were finished uh, wrapping up with the last episode, I was like, wait, I, I can do more. Like, let's, <laughs> yeah. let's, let's, let's do let's another do it. Just do it now. Yeah, <laughs> I, exactly. Because I felt like I was on a roll. So um, it was just uh, one thing I want to you know, continue doing because I, I had a blast at it. And I'm really just uh, grateful that uh, Food Network has given me the opportunity. I'm curious. What, what, so what does the future look like for you? You know what? Um, once uh, the, the restaurant industry as a whole kind of gets out this gray area uh, that COVID's put us in the past couple of years, I, I really hope to uh, to open up uh, a spot here, uh, whether it be in D.C. Um, I'm considering the West Coast. I'm considering California. Mm. Uh, but I really want to open up a, a place. And I have some uh, some backers that are excited to, to help out uh, when the time is ready. So getting the book out was be really important, um, both books out and uh, and really just continue to spread the gospel of that that food that I love so much um, and and really kind of fuse that with other things as well. I think just having a global kind of approach to, to West African cuisine is what I really um, is is in my like my zone right now. That's where mm-hmm. I feel like I'm really most successful uh, as far as my dishes and where I'm having the most fun creatively. Um, so I want to kind of really explore that as much as possible. So, yeah, just whatever projects um, I have some really cool things on on tap that I'm excited about that are kind of like not yet in writing. So I don't want to jinx it. But hopefully uh, there's a really cool pop up in uh, in New York City horizon coming up okay. uh, uh, pretty soon. So, yeah, I'm excited for that. All right. Sign me up for that. Uh, well, yeah. If, it, yeah, if the last year is any uh, indication, um, big, big things ahead. The sky is the limit. And uh, it's been so fun watching your career, you know, blossom and develop. So we're going to finish things out with some rapid fire questions. And we have one final question for you here on Food Let's Network. Do it. All, right, All right. Mise en place, mise en place or prep as you go. Oh, mise en place. Best piece of advice you've ever received. Take your time. What West African spots should we go to in New York City? Papaye and 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 there's so many other good spots in Harlem that just mom and pop spots, really, yeah. uh, that you can go to. I would say that. Yeah. If you could only listen to one musical artist, who it would it be? Bob Marley. Go to Washington, D.C. dinner spot. Maketo. Shout out to Chef Eric Maketo. Yeah. That was what Yeah. Favorite rainy day or comfort meal? Chinese food, good movie, uh, some blankets and, and, and a good company. Yeah. That, family. that sounds pretty mm-hmm. perfect. <laughs> yeah. Describe being a dad in one word chaotically fun is that i'm, I'm making <laughs> up a word oh yeah that's yeah. okay that's okay that's two words. We'll, we'll take it we'll accept it um yes I, I like that one um all right snack you will never get tired of 
Cinnabons. Um, Cinnabons. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, oh man, I'm so embarrassed. It's a guilty pleasure of mine, but I'm to the day I die. Yeah, Cinnabons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, this has been such a blast. Uh, before we let you go, we do have one final question that we ask to all of our guests, um, and everyone has a different answer, as you can imagine when you hear it. What would be on the menu for your perfect food day? So breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert. Uh, you can throw some snacks in if you want. Whatever. It's your day. You can time travel, spend as much money as you want. Like there's there's basically no rules. So we just want to hear what would you be eating on your on your perfect food day? This is my favorite question of everything. Okay. So out of everything, um, breakfast, I, I, I love breakfast so much. So I'm going the, the lumberjack style. I'm going pancakes, eggs, uh, some bacon, some coffee, good newspaper or something to read and some orange juice for sure. And, uh, man, for lunch is probably where I get a little, um, indulgent where I'll go for maybe like a really, really good steak, um, steak frites or like mm. a steak salad. Right. And then, for okay, I'm going. I'm going in between lunch and dinner right now. Yep. So if I if I could, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm swinging over to the Bronx and I got to get my mom's uh, fried yam and mm. uh, red snapper, like the different peppers, and that's just like my ultimate favorite um, thing to eat. And then I'm capping it off. Um, I'm, I'm probably going to one of my favorite meals was in France uh, at a restaurant. Um, just this beautiful uh, seafood risotto with like squid ink and mm. um, a bunch of scallops and, and, and clams and mussels. And that just, oh my gosh, it's, it's one dish that sticks to my head and sticks in my head. And um, I would probably go back to that. And it was uh, first started off with like um, this beautiful caviar set with this like delicious, like rhubarb kind of like soubise. It was just, oh gosh, ridiculous. And yeah, dessert, um, ice cream. I'm going ice cream. Um, okay. yeah, <laughs> I, I'm going either Oreo cookies and cream style, or we're doing like, like Rocky road. Sounds perfect. A little bit of, of home, a little bit of, you know, all, all of your different influences mixed into, uh, one perfect day. Um, and this has been so much fun and I've so enjoyed, like I said, watching your career develop, uh, over the last few years since, since we met, it's all come full circle here on the podcast. So thank you so much for taking the time. Well, there is a reason that Eric is an on-camera favorite. He has such a charismatic energy. I really hope you can all catch him hosting the season finale of Alex vs. America this Sunday, January 30th at 10, 9 central. And be sure to watch him compete on Tournament of Champions premiering on Sunday, February 27th at 8, 7 central. Both shows are on Food Network and streaming on Discovery+. Plus. Thanks so much for listening and make sure you follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review. We love it when you do that. That's all for now. We'll catch you foodies next Friday. Bye.